channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And Ed, welcome to another segment, I believe our second of the best business books. Yes, and happy anniversary, Ron. Yes, that was that was awesome, getting to listen to the, the first show we did. Yes, one year ago, 4th of July, and yes, last week, if you listened, we, we did a repeat of that show. I think we've improved. I, I don't know about you. I think we've improved. <laughs> well, hopefully, the, the learning curve has kicked in, right? You do this 50 times, you, you hopefully get a little <laughs> bit better. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, Ed, the last time we did this particular segment, it's one of our recurring segments, along with like Entrepreneur Heaven, we talked about four books as, as we do on this uh, particular show, because we like to do one book per segment. And I think um, the, sh- the books we picked last time were pretty good. I had Stanley Marcus's Minding the Store and Profit Beyond Measure by H. Thomas Johnson, and you picked The Halo Effect by Phil Rosenzweig, and then, what is it, Turning to One Another, right, by Margaret right. Wheatley? Margaret Wheatley, yeah. yeah. I threw that, I, that, was, that, that threw you off. I knew that one threw you off. It, well, it did because you, you had those 10 or whatever interesting questions yes. that, 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 uh, that were really profound, that really make you stop and think. So uh, hopefully the show will be just as good, folks. We want to call through some, some business books that have had just major impact, and that's kind of the criteria that Ed and I selected to do the best business book show. It was books that really had a profound impact on us, not necessarily that were, you know, well-written per se, but just either had life-changing or paradigm-changing ideas behind them. And one of the things we're trying to do is not duplicate uh, those books with like some of our guests, like Rabbi Lappin, for instance, has got a few books in my top 100 list, and uh, but we've already interviewed him, so we won't duplicate. So we're trying to throw up books that uh, we haven't talked about before, at least in in any great depth. So that's right. well. That might be a translation. Is the translation might be people who are dead, right? <laughs> and yeah. we, when we can't get them on the show, <laughs> or we just can't get them on the show. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> there are several people we've tried to get on the show that uh, that we can't, unfortunately, or we or just haven't agreed yet. But we're working right. on right. it. Exactly. So. You're, I like that, Ron. Just haven't agreed yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give up. I don't give up. Not 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 the people I want to go after. So, but that I'll 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 go first, and I'll throw out a book that I just absolutely love because 
first off, this guy is one of my all-time favorite authors. Uh, I, I think he is a beautiful writer. This is a splendidly written book uh, as well as being incredibly thought-provoking. I read it back in 1997. The book was published in 1996, and it's called Business as a Calling, Work in the Examined Life by Michael Novak. Now, Michael Novak is uh, a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's a theologian. He's written just a ton of books, The Spirit of Democratic Capitalism, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on, uh, and he's just a brilliant writer, very thought-provoking guy, very rational, What was a Democrat growing up. I guess you could call him one of the early neoconservatives that started to make the shift in the 60s after their disillusionment with the you know, <laughs> where the party was going with Russia and anti-communism, but also the, the great society. But just an incredibly thoughtful guy. And I just love this book because one of the things he lays out, he says this, and I, I'm going to quote this at length because I think it's profound and it needs to be said. I mean, we try and say it on this show how serious enterprise is. It's not based on greed. It's not based upon a zero-sum view of the world. It's really based upon the golden rule, right? You, you want others to succeed. And Novak says in this book, Business is a Calling, my general position on, has two parts. First, business is a morally serious enterprise in which it's possible to act either immorally or morally. Second, by its own internal logic and inherent moral drive, Business requires moral conduct and not always, but with high probability. Violations of this logic lead to personal and business disgrace. Immoral acts do occur in business, but to behave immorally is neither necessary to nor conducive to business success. And I just love that. And I completely agree with with that statement. And you know, I, I found the same thing in my career that the overwhelming majority of people that I've I have worked with for as as a consultant have really genuinely wanted to do do well for others. And I, it's not even close. The scale is not even close. Have I encountered people who were just in it for them who wanted to 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 in in effect lie cheat steal and manipulate their way to more money for them yeah uh, yes i have i ha- i have encountered those people but they're few and far between and i i think that what is very much missed in business today is that that most people act morally and the, the thing the thing that uh, that drives me a little bit nuts is this idea that people get rich only by taking from those who are poor and it, it it comes up again and again and again, and it's just this—it's the zero-sum game myth. I mean, as if the rich could get wealthy by taking from people who don't have anything anyway. I I know you know Gilder loves to say that 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 fallacy that the rich got there by exploiting or taking away from the poor is popular among Harvard faculty and prison inmates. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He's got a really good point. <laughs> yeah, pretty. That's that's an interesting uh, Venn diagram there. <laughs> yeah, and Novak goes on to say this. Now he spends a lot. He spends some time in the book talking about industrial barons, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Carnegies and all that. And he talks about how Carnegie 
you know, famously said, you know, a man dies who dies wealthy dies disgraced. I think Professor McClowski talked about this and, and, you know, our beliefs about how important charity is and all of that. But he kind of profiles some of these guys and he says, these men, the industrial barons, did more than make money. Calling them money makers trivializes what they accomplished, nor does the word greed capture their state of soul. Greed does not explain why Andrew Carnegie gave virtually all his money away. Instead, he poured his profits back into his firm as an investment in its future. In other words, he put it at risk. Greed is for the impoverished socialist imagination, a term of art. Its purpose is neither descriptive nor analytical. Its purpose is moral denunciation for ideological reasons. The aim is not acquisition but increase. The clutching fist is not the capitalist style. And I, I just, again, I, it, not only is that beautifully written, <laughs> but yeah. it's profound. Yeah, it, 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 it clearly is. And wow, you just got to pa- pause and take that in, Ron. I don't know if, you know, <laughs> but I, I pity our listeners who are allowed p- processing that because it is deeply profound. I, and, I, and I can say that, that, you know, business is a calling just as, that, as a title is something that very much appeals to me because it it has to be it's a it, it is a vocation it is it is absolutely a calling especially someone who is positioning themselves as an entrepreneur but even if you're not an entrepreneur business is still a calling right no it is it, it and and you know what he says about that and uh, just on that point he says life is not worth living if we exercise our profession only for the sake of material success and do not find in our calling an inner necessity and a meaning which transcends the mere earning of money a meaning which gives our life dignity and strength mm-hmm. and again i mean what do you want to talk about simon's next purpose or you know the purpose driven life by Pastor Warren, whatever. Uh, I just think that this is just so profound on so many different levels. The other thing I really like about this book is he lays out what he calls seven internal and seven external responsibilities. And he sets it up this way. He says, it may help to divide these responsibilities into into two different sets. The second set will easily be recognized as ethics since the source of their authority comes from outside the business, from religious conviction, moral traditions, humane principles, and human rights commitments. But just really quick, Ed, the seven internal responsibilities of a business, he's talking about, number one, to satisfy customers with goods and services of real value. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is no easy thing, right? In a dynamic marketplace you, with, with constant disruption, that's, uh, that's kind of a full-time job by itself. Number two is to make a reasonable return on the funds entrusted to the business corporation by its investors. Uh, he asks, I think, a very profound but simple question. Is it moral to lose other people's money? Uh, number three is to create new wealth. Number four is to create new jobs. Uh, You can't create employees without first having employers. Uh, Number five is to defeat envy through generating upward mobility and putting empirical ground under the conviction that hard work and talent are fairly rewarded. Number six is to promote invention, ingenuity, and in general, progress in the arts and useful sciences. This is from the Constitution. Of course, he's talking about copyright and patent protection here, Mm -hmm. uh, which is embedded in the Constitution. And then number seven is to diversify the interests of the republic because it's crucial to preventing the tyranny of the majority. 
So the fact that different workers, different unions, different corporations have different interests, he thinks is a good thing because mm-hmm. then there's no one major power that can tyrannize over everybody. And a great argument against the idea of, of crony capitalism or fascism, however you want to, where the, where the central authority is directing, not necessarily the, the, the means of production, but the resources of production. Yeah, absolutely. And then the seven responsibilities from outside business, which I, I really like to emphasize in our ethics courses, because like he says, it's from outside and ethics is some type of uh, external standard. Number one is to establish within the firm a sense of community and respect for the dignity of persons. So that's very Kantian. You know, it's very mm. deontological, de- de- right? You, you can't use people as a means to an end. People have dignity because they have free will. We have the right to choose, that type of thing. Number two is to protect the political soil of liberty. Number three is to exemplify respect for law. Number four is social justice. And I think not in the way that most people think of that term. Uh, what what Novak means by social justice is to be good citizens of the community, like other forms of justice and love. Social justice begins at home, uh, and then number five is to communicate often and fully with their investors, shareholders, pensioners, customers, and employees. And for the accountants in our in our listening group, that that's kind of where accounting comes in. They they kind of make that full disclosure possible and that communication with outside parties, whether it's through financial statements, audit reports, whatever. Number six is to contribute to making its own habitat, the surrounding society, a better place. And the last and seventh is to protect the moral ecology of freedom. And I just think those are really those are two fantastic lists, both looking internally and externally of what the responsibilities of a business are. And sure, and Ron, there are clearly businesses that violate these, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Novak would be the first to admit that. Um, you know, uh, the other thing he profiles is the, the Johnson & Johnson corporate credo. We talked about that, I believe, on our CSR show. Um, but he does a good job explaining that. And just it's just really a profound book. I mean, it really makes you think about how how what a calling it is it's not just a way to make earn money and it doesn't matter whether you're in a profession or not no matter what you do if you treat it like a calling then it gives it dignity and gives it respect and it really is an expression of our higher selves clearly clearly great stuff ron but, thanks for sharing that, that, that your knowledge of that book with us too, uh, i love it yeah, I do too. It's really good, folks. Again, Business is a Calling by Michael Novak. And we'd like to remind you, you can email Ed or myself at tsoe at verisage.com. And please check out our new website, thesoulofenterprise.com. We will, of, co- of course, be posting full show notes and uh, with links to the, all the books that we're going to discuss today. In the meantime, we'd like to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. 
Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right, Ron. Well, truth be told, this next book that I'm going to introduce to our audience here is, is not one of my best business books. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, and, and, but it does, I think, qualify in that it has had a significant impact on me. And, and in fact, it's had a significant impact on the entire professional industry. And it's interesting the way that it has. And it, it's had this impact even though I believe that the majority of people who cite this work have never read it. <laughs> How true. A, a, a pure definition of a classic, right? A book that's often cited and never read. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and this book is by a, an author that I do happen to, to like, and I've, I've read many of his books. This just isn't even, uh, I think, in his top one or two. It's definitely not his, his top book. I would Maybe it's third or fourth on his list. guy's name is David Maester, and I know you're very familiar with, with David's work. In fact, you've, you've talked with David on a couple of occasions, He's uh, and as have I. He had a, a, a very, a, one of the first blogs of professional, in the professional industry that was widely cited and uh, lots of great comments on it. And I think he retired, what was it, about seven years ago or so, Ron? Yeah, I think uh, so. Uh, so he hasn't hasn't been around much. I think he still does some things from t- time to time. But it, the the book is called The Trusted Advisor. And anyone in our listening audience who ha- has probably heard this term, trusted advisor. In fact, I would would go so far as to say that some of you in our audience have this term on your website that you want to be a trusted advisor or that you aspire to be a trusted advisor for your customers or that w- we're still that you quote are your trust are a trusted advisor to your customers and i think the key here is to understand that if you if you crack this book open and read even the first 3 chapters you'll realize that what Maester is talking about here is is ap- is absolutely an aspirational title we, we, we certainly may aspire to be a trusted advisor to the, the, our customers and, and some would say clients, but it doesn't happen 
all that often, and it's not an everyday situation. In fact, I think Maester says in the book that it would it's likely to happen somewhere between three and five times in the entirety of one's career mm-hmm. as a professional. It's not something that happens all the time. And this is a quote from the book, that trust is mainly personal, not institutional, and is not very transferable. And how true is that? Right. He talks about it as an evolution, doesn't he, Ed? Yes, and I think this is the, one of the keys, and we'll we'll try to get this graphic up on on the the show notes because I think it's it's truly profound. You know, this is this is one of those those graphics when you look at it, it's very it's deceptively simple, but when you when you study it, you realize how deep it really is. And it's a you know it's an X Y graph, but it's not, and this is why I like it so much, Ron. It is not a a, a two by two. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not intended to be read as a two by two, but there's there's four quadrants. The, the, it, this is a kind of a step graph, uh, graph, right? And the the x-axis is the depth of the personal relationship that one has with the customer. And note right there, personal relationship. A, an org, organization cannot be the trusted advisor of another organization. Ed can be a trusted advisor to Ron, right? Correct. But but not an organization. Right, it's per, it's a depth of personal relationship. So that's your x-axis, uh, from you know low low level of depth or low depth to high depth, and then the the y-axis is the breadth of the issues. And he says business issues, but I'm just going to say issues with which you are engaged. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know if you're just doing the the audit, let's say, but not the tax return, then you know that would be one thing. This a lot of my people might think of this as in terms of share of wallet, but I think it's 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 even beyond that, right? Sure, sure. And the way this works is is that you start in the the lower left hand side of this graph where you have a you know not very deep personal relationship and you're dealing with maybe one thing for a particular customer. And what he says is that at that level, you are just basically uh, a vendor, right? Mm -hmm. All you really are is just a vendor to somebody. Um, But as you then move up into this, and and this is the key, that you have to move up in both areas. You have to move up both in the depth of the personal relationship and in the breadth of the business issues with which you're dealing, then you become what he says is a subject matter expert, right? Yep. But the key is you have to move up on both axes at the same time. It's not just one. So, in other words, you can have a deepening personal relationship with somebody, but if you're not broadening the issues that you're dealing with them on, you're you're not moving to the next level. Correct. Yep. And then the third level, again, it's this is like a stepping stone up when one increases the depth of the personal relationship and the breadth of the business issues. He then calls you a valuable resource. And then the last level, of course, where you've reached the top right of this entire graph, where you have a very deep personal relationship with someone, and you've broadened the business issues, or I would even argue beyond the business issues, then you become the trusted advisor. Right. And you know, the, one of the, the best people that I can think of and cite on this is our colleague at Verisage, Dan Morris. Right, who, who has been on the show when he talk, we talked about the value conversation. He's the master of the value conversation. He's also one that I think really understands this idea that, hey, uh, I, I aspire to be a trusted advisor, but A, I don't aspire to be to do it with everybody, and I really can only have one at a time. Yep, yep, 
absolutely. I call him the Henry Kissinger of, of the accounting <laughs> world because when he does have that relationship, it is very, very deep and on a personal level and the breadth of issues that he's covering for them. Uh, I mean, he's kind of their first stop for almost everything. They run almost everything by him, which I find really interesting. Yeah, I think he said to me, you know, I want, I want, I want them to, for me to be the first call if they need Super Bowl tickets. Yep. Yep. Or five-star restaurant tickets or whatever. You know, and I worked with a financial firm and, uh, you know, those guys can also develop these types of very, very close relationships. And, you know, they, they'll pop up in people's wills as, as will CPAs and, and lawyers, uh, because they become trusted advisors with a handful of their, their clients or customers. And this guy's KPI for that he says, I know when I've hit that top stepping stone, you know, in that graph mm-hmm. you just recited, he says, when you get invited to the daughter's wedding, <laughs> he said, not a funeral. He says, everybody's invited to the funerals. <laughs> yeah, says, right. But, but when you get to the daughter's wedding, you have a trusted advisor relationship. And I thought that was a real interesting insight. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, key predictive indicator, right? Or it's actually not predictive. It's, it's really more retrospective that you've, yeah. already, you've already gotten there. But, yep. I, you know, I think he's dead on. I mean, I think that that is a, it's a, that's a great way to think about it. And, and I think, again, what's important here is that it's aspirational. And I personally find that organizations that use this, tri- this phrase, the phrase trusted advisor, they use it way too early in the process. To me, they, you know, they, they jump in and start saying, we, don't, we want to be your trusted advisor. And it it's, it's almost comes across to me like asking someone on the first date, so how many kids are we going to have? <laughs> well, you know, Kenneth Arrow, the uh, Nobel Prize winning economist, said this about trust. He said, now trust has a very important pragmatic value. If nothing else, it is extremely efficient. It saves a lot of trouble to have a fair degree of reliance on other people's words. Unfortunately, and I think this is the key point, unfortunately, this is not a commodity that can be bought very easily. If you have to buy it, you already have some doubts about what you've bought. Trust in similar values, loyalty, or truth-telling are examples of what economists would call externalities. They are goods. They are commodities. They have real practical economic value. They increase the efficiency of the system, enable you to produce more goods or more whatever values you hold in high esteem. But they are not commodities for which trade in the, on the open market is technically possible or even meaningful. Yes, and, and I agree. And look, here's, here's the, my, my some final thoughts on this. We're getting closer to a break. But I, I, think, I, I think you certainly can aspire to be a trusted advisor. But I want to say something that I, I think is really important for many of, of you out there who are, who are uh, perhaps feeling bad about yourself. And I'm going to channel my, my inner uh, Howard Hansen and Steve Jeske on this and, and, and from our, our book on healing leadership and say, you know what? It's okay if you don't want to be a trusted advisor to anyone. Yeah. Right? It's an enormous gi- responsibility. Yes, I'm giving you permission. Now, in a business context, I'm not saying that, that one wouldn't aspire to this and almost, almost require it in a, um, uh, in a marriage, right? In a, in a spousal relationship, right? Sure. Where, where you want this, the level of trust. But the, 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 this whole idea of in a professional relationship to get that deep with people, right? There, I think there are people who are uncomfortable with that, and and I think it's okay, and I think we got to give them permission to be okay with that. I agree. 
I agree. I think that's a really good point. Especially in a professional setting, you're kind of already at, even if you're at that bottom of that, that graph you recited, you know, where you're just dealing with the subject matter expert, you're still kind of somewhat intimate, especially accountants. You know, you, we've got the economic kimono opened on, on your customer and you, you don't, you don't have to get beyond that if you don't want to, if you're not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he's got another thing, and we really can't go through this, but we will put it up on the website where where I've I've kind of called this the sentence builder that says, if you're doing this these things, this is really where you are. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about the what 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 he says the the trusted advisor is. So the focus becomes on the customer as an individual, as a person. Right, so it's got to be this deep personal relationship. They that that you as a professional spend your energy understanding them as a person, really seeking to understand who they are, what and what they are, what they're about, what you know, what their why is. Right, really embracing what their why is, and if you provide them with, and I think this is important, a safe haven for hard issues that could be anything. Right, that could be you know my 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 dog just died, or you know as or hey, I want to take us to the Super Bowl on on happier times, and that's what you know what Dan does, and then I think this is the 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 key one that kind of makes it connect to all of the work that you and I have done on pricing, that the indicator of success is creative varied pricing. Mm-hmm. Right, that you're not, that you're not going to 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 just you know bill them by the hour, or there's there's a tip clause involved in here, uh, you know, so, so something like that. I think those those are great examples of of really taking it to that that true trusted advisor level. And again, it doesn't happen all that often. And like you said, Ed, this is something that you can't say about yourself. Only your customers can say this about you. Correct. That is absolutely correct. They 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 think of you as a trusted advisor. You can impose it on them, and and I really do think that all the websites out there that say you know we want to be your trusted advisor are just they're just coming across way too early. They are. It, it's like it's like an airline. Come fly with us. We won't kill you. I mean, it, for some <laughs> for somebody in your house talking about how honest they are, the first thing you're going to do is run and count the spoons, right? Right. <laughs> you talk about it. You cheapen it. Yep. Nope. Nope. Totally agree. So anyway, well, we're up against a break. And, and again, I want to just point that 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 book out is not because, again, it's one of the best, but because it is clearly one that has influenced so many people even without having read it. But we're up against our break here and want to remind you that you can take a visit to our new website at thesoulofenterprise.com. There's show notes up there. There's ability to purchase the book from Amazon on there. And we'd love to have you that. We can also connect to the uh, iTunes radio uh, or I'm sorry, the iTunes podcast of this this show that we'd love to have you connect there and please do write those reviews that is so helpful to us and thank you uh, for those of you who have done that but right now we're going to take a, a break and talk to our the, our good friends at Azamba Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. 
Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's Azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing the best business books. And, Ed, I'm going to throw out one that you're probably going to think I've lost my mind, but it's called Bad Medicine, Doctors Doing Harm Since Hippocrates. (laughs) <laughs> by a historian from uh, London by the name of, uh, he's, at the, uh, he's a professor of history at the University of York. And yep. his name is David Wooten, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, and I tell you, I read this book in 1998 and it absolutely blew my mind, uh, or 2008. It just, it just blew my mind um, because I think there's so many parallels here not just to the professional world, which is in the context I was reading it at the time, but just to the business world in general. And I, I really do think it, it, it's got business lessons, even though it's really a, a history of medicine. Uh, and he says, you know, the history of medicine begins with Hippocrates in the 5th century B.C. Yet until the invention of antibiotics in the 1940s, doctors in general did their patients more harm than good. In other words... For 2,400 years, patients believed doctors were doing good. For 2,300 years, they were wrong. (laughs) From the first first century BC to the mid-19th century, the major therapy was bloodletting performed with a special knife called a lancet. And and I think, parenthetically, interestingly enough, one of the most prestigious uh, medical journals to this day, published in England, is called The Lancet. Right. So, let's face it, bad ideas die hard, right? Uh, (laughs) Bloodletting had its opponents, of course, but the debate was over where in the body to draw the blood from, not over its effectiveness. So, basically, Wooten is making, uh, I think, three devastating arguments. First, he says, if medicine is defined as the ability to cure diseases, then there was very little medicine before 1865, uh, because that's when germ theory came in. And second, he says, effective medicine could only begin when doctors began to count and compare, such as using clinical trials. So the whole double-blind study and, and really being empirical right. about what worked. And third was the key development that made modern medicine possible is the germ theory of disease. And, and he goes on to say, and he gives all these examples that are just so fascinating 
But he said Joseph Lister, of course, is credited with positing germ theory in 1865. But there is considerable evidence for this theory dating back to 1546 and certainly by 1700. Prior to this, infections were thought to be caused by stale air and water. Even Florence Nightingale believed in this. He talks about how it took penicillin. You know, doctors ignored penicillin for 70 years. The conventional wisdom that was it was invented in the 1940s. It wasn't. It was invented in 1872, and doctors completely ignored it. They ignored the microscope. They thought it was a toy. Uh, he just documents all these things in the book that medicine just ignored because it didn't fit in to their paradigm. And the thing that I found really interesting um, about it, you know, is that he says medicine is often involved doing things to other people that you normally should not do. Think for a moment what surgery was like before the invention of anesthesia in 1842. Imagine amputating the limb of a patient who is screaming and struggling. Imagine training yourself to be indifferent to the patient's suffering, to be deaf to their screams. Imagine developing the strength to pin down the patient's thrashing body. To think about progress, you must first understand what stands in the way of progress. In this case, the surgeon's pride in his work, his professional training, his expertise, his sense of who he is. I find that absolutely profound for a lot of change management reasons that, you know, we've talked about in terms of Mm -hmm. Peter Block and, you know, your example with getting the guy to do the inventory transfer. Yeah. uh, You know, just a sense of who we are and do we want and and, and how we resist change. Well, this, I mean, this goes goes back and and what I think, I'm sure this guy starts out at, you know, primum non non nosare, right? First do no harm, right? Yes. And the Hippocratic Oath and and all that. Look, I I cite primum non nosare when when talking about consulting, which is, to me, the reason why one has to have a value conversation with someone for whom you're going to do any kind of work to try to get an understanding of, hey, is this, is there, is there enough there? Is there enough, is there there there? Is there to, to make a difference? Should, should we pursue some kind of a solution? Because if there's not, the, I could be a cure that's worse than your disease. Yep. And I, and I don't know that. And, and I think that there is a moral component here to making sure that one has a detailed value conversation with a prospective customer before you begin work. It, it, it's, it's an absolute requirement. This goes, goes back to, you know, and it's funny you bring up medicine, but I also cite uh, a, 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 a truism that's cited now in medicine, certainly not uh, before 1865, um, and, and that is that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice, yep. right? And, you know, I think all too often professionals, uh, beyond professionals, I also think sometimes businesses, they, they prescribe before they, uh, before they do their, their diagnosis. And that's, and that's a problem. That's a problem. You, you know, and the other thing he points out, Ed, and I just think this is so profound. He says, we know how to write histories of discovery and progress, but not how to write histories of stasis of delay, of digression. We know how to write about the delight of discovery, but not about attachment to the old and resistance to the new. And that's what he's doing here. He's really taking the medical profession to task. And he's not bashing. He's not bashing the medical profession. This guy admits right up front, his daughter's just had graduated. You know, she, she's a doctor. Mm-hmm. His life was saved 
by doctors and probably some great, you know, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. He's not bashing the medical profession. He's just looking at it from a historian's perspective and saying, you know, for 2,300 years, these guys did enormous harm. And, and what were the reasons that they stayed attached to these outmoded theories and what he calls technologies? Um, and it's just a fascinating look at um, some of the things that we talk about, iatrogenic illnesses, mm-hmm. right? The fact that 90,000 people die, cause to, even to this day, because doctors don't wash their hands, you know, thoroughly or, or nurses or, you know, people who touch patients or whatever. And just the whole, why did the profession delay? And when we think about some of the work that we do, whether it's in pricing or any other change management that you might bring to an organization, here is a profession that is supposedly based on empirical evidence and science, right? Right. If they delayed for this long, what chance do accountants or lawyers or (laughs) any of these other professions have to really make dramatic changes to their business model unless there's some type of burning platform? Well, and this leads to another question, which is, is a hundred years from now someone going to uncover this this episode of the show and go, yeah, you guys are sitting around there in the days when they used to, you know, inject people with chemotherapy and <laughs> exactly, right? and, yeah, uh, you know, which which are, are, I mean, I I have to think that there's been double blind studies that that prove that it's doing less harm than good, but I. I I'm not a scientist. I haven't studied them myself. I can I can tell you this that that I know in in the little study that I've done of of certain you know drug efficaciousness tests, it's not an always thing, Mm-mm. right? It's not a, you know you just you just have to and I forget what the percentage is, but you just have to prove better than a placebo. And what I find interesting is okay, so that means that there are there are actually cure rates for placebos. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about that with Dan Ariely, right? Placebo, what's it mean to please? Yes. you know, they, they, it was the professional mourners. <laughs> yep, <laughs> they yep. hire these mourners to come and cry for strangers. Um, the other thing he points out in this book, Ed, and I thought this was really interesting because we always talk about the difference between institutions and individuals, right? He says the cultural obstacles, Wooten believes, are based on a somewhat counterintuitive observation that institutions have a life of their own. All actions cannot be said to be performed by individuals. Some are performed by institutions. For instance, a committee may reach a decision that was nobody's first choice. Yep. And and that's certainly true because, you know, it, it, especially institutions that are shielded from competition <laughs> and and hermetically sealed in orthodoxy. I think this is Friedman's point about why he didn't want doctors to be licensed because it, it cloisters them off from new ideas. You know, Friedman, I think, if he had read this book, would have said, had there been more competition, germ theory probably would have been somewhere tested earlier and found to be efficacious and might have diffused quicker throughout the profession. Mm-hmm. It was easier to to avoid it if you're a self-contained little monopoly, like the medical profession was. So I, I think that's a really interesting point from an economic dynamism perspective. Well, and, and to a certain extent still is, right? They, 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 they've got this little closed, closed loop on things, although it, you know, it is expanding a little bit. But, you know, what, we, we, we should, we should, you should be able to go get vaccinated at Walmart. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and you know, there's there's lots of cases cases now where 
doctors are getting in trouble for doing diagnosis because they're doing it via, uh, you know, over the phone or through some kind of video. And in some states, the canons don't permit it because you ha- they state straight out that you have to see the patient personally. Right, right, kind of like the veterinarian case you were talking that about. That I was talking about, yes, but yeah, this, it's yeah. also true for doctors as well. Correct. Yep. 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 You know, so but because they're they're not keeping up with the technology, but it's also a downside because it, it, when when will it be that a computer is going to be better at diagnosing than than actual physicians? I don't think we're that far from it. Yeah, no, I, I but given that CrowdMed app that we talked about on yeah. Free Rider Friday, I mean that was really interesting that the best diagnoses are coming from people that don't have the best medical credentials. You know, they could be lay people. Right. Well, I, th- I think that one of the one of the big pluses of big data, and I think we're going to start to see this in, in, in emerge maybe not as quickly as five years from now. And I, I have you know, I have no scientific training on this, so I am just going off like my intuition on this. But I think the one the one place where big data is going to help is understanding of the interactions between medications when people are taking multiple medications at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we're gonna we're gonna start to see a picture that emerges from that, and and that's gonna that might be the lancet of of the early twenty first <laughs> century that you guys mix these cocktails together, and w- without any and because I've seen I've seen this with my my dad who's who's in his, who's had some medical challenges where you know he goes to th- this specialist this specialist they they prescribe and yes they get told that hey he's taking this. But they, they they don't really care. I mean, unless, unless there's clearly an interaction that that has been documented, they're just like, yeah, just add this to the regimen. Right, right, and they yeah might not think it through. You know, the, reading this book, Bad Medicine, made me think of Stephen Covey's comment in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it really is the it's the effing debate, for lack of a better uh, analogy. He says, but you know, uh, if you want to make Incremental changes work on practices, but if you want to make significant changes, work on paradigms. Yes. And that's what happened in the medical community. You know, they got these paradigms finally, testing and blind studies and germ theory and all of that. And that's why effectiveness trumps efficiency. So anyway, again, the book, folks, the book is Bad Medicine by David Wooten. It's just an absolute fascinating read. Even, I promise, even if you have no interest in medicine or the history thereof, it's still just a fantastic read. Really well done. And folks, we need to uh, take our next break. But uh, in the meantime, check out thesoulofenterprise.com. And again, we will post up show notes, and we'd really like it if you went to iTunes and gave the show a rating. That really helps us. And now we want to hear from Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. 
Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, earlier on, I talked about a book that was not a best, but it did certainly qualify as being in business. Right. Now, now I'm going to share with you one that is clearly in the best category, but <laughs> may not fully qualify in the business area, although it is, it is one that has had a profound impact on the way I do things in business, especially when designing presentations. And mm-hmm. uh, the, this book was, was given to me by a mentor um, and friend of mine. Actually, he was my boss at the time, a long time ago. His name is Taylor McDonald. As a as a gift for something that I, I, I did, it was you know kind of a, an attaboy type thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it is a beautiful book, and it is cu- entitled "Beautiful Evidence" by mm-hmm. Edward Tufte, uh, which is T U F T E, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. But it is a, a, an incredible book. On the explaining the nature of graphics, words, numbers, I- images, and how to display them to actually get your point across. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and it's not just a, like there there are books that are specifically dealing with with PowerPoint. This isn't. This is just this is just dealing with with graphics. And, you know, and he and he goes all the way all the way back to to line drawings that. Uh, organizations have made. There's one that I'm sure you've seen. It's a very famous uh, uh, example of a. It's a, it's the the cargo bay of a slave ship, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And how and how and how these the slaves were were packed in, um, you know, to to get the maximum num- number in here. And just you know, the, and and the the graphic is just it it just really drives home the the humanity of this that they. Cram these people into the you know into in a place that, that must must have just been horrible you know the 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 stench and and the the death all around them and just to think that they were packed so tightly together you know um, and, and just just stuff like that that makes an incredible impact well there there are two specific things that I really want to point out in 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 this book the the first one is one that I pre- pre- think to to be the best graphic that has ever been developed. And it's um, it, it's a, a map of Napoleon's army it, that we're, we're going into uh, uh, into Russia, mm-hmm. right? And it's a, it's a it, so it's just like this this map, and it follows their trail. But the way that it is then described is you see the the size of the army is the size of the bar. Mm-hmm. 
So it starts out, you know, in uh, in Kovno, I guess, which is as they're crossing the the Russian border, and you see that you know how many troops he had four hundred and something thousand troops in total. Uh, so it's a really big bar, and then you know the the closer and closer they get, they get to Velna, and then there's a break off, and sixty thousand troops go this way, but the rest of them go this way, you know, and then by the time they get to to Moscow, the the first time there's still only a hundred there's a hundred thousand troops, so they had lost, you know, over three hundred thousand troops just getting to Moscow. Right. 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 And then you see the retreat, right? So it starts out with the 100,000 and then this is in in black, you know, and you see that eventually when they cross the the uh, the river, I guess it's the Nienman River going going back exiting Russia that there's less than 10,000 troops. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's just it's just absolutely incredible and it tells it tells this story in one picture. You don't even have to uh, once you understand what the graphic elements are, uh, again, you don't you don't have to understand all of the details of it. But then, even below it, then they add another layer, and they they're adding the the average daily temperature, right? And you, oh, you wow. and you and you you're seeing what's happened to these troops as the temperature declines, declines. And on you know December six, <laughs> it's the lowest at minus thirty degrees. <laughs> Napoleon invading invading Russia is one of my classic examples for there's no good way to execute a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and then fortunately Hitler was stupid enough to do it again uh, in almost the same manner. Right, right. Uh, So you know, there's there's your history. It doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. But um, Go ahead, Amrana. Does he say anything, Ed, about, um, because I I think another element of graphics that I find incredibly effective is our cartoons. Yes. Like our, you know, our show's logo. Does he talk about that at all? I, I, I can't recall specifically. It's been a while since I've read the book, but you know, he he doesn't he doesn't make a distinction. He's really just talking about about the the, the beauty of presenting evidence really well. Now, mm-hmm. I'll give me give a, give an example of how I have taken this to heart and and where where I why I see this. You've seen you know marketing presentations where they, they and and this is I I don't know if this is just accountants or whatever, but you know they 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 put the 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 the, the graphic up. But that's not good enough because, okay, somebody might not want to know the details, so now we have to put the table up. So now we have the right. graphic and the table. But you know what? That's not good enough because now what we really need to do is we need to uh, you know, put, put in the da- data labels and points, right? Yeah. But and then let's the not just show – let's just not show <laughs> just two dimensions. Let's show three dimensions. And oh, by the way, we've got a you – know, we've got a y-axis on the right, but let's do a y-axis on the left because that's – you know, and then it's like you got some marketing <laughs> VP up there going, it's real, real clear in Q4. Like what the hell are you talking? about right <laughs> makes me think of the microsoft ad uh, on the uh, ipod box yeah exactly that internal video <laughs> exactly exactly but but you we've all seen these slides right that, that that and and people then apologize they're like well sorry i know this is an eye chart well why? <laughs> why are you showing? Why, it? why are you showing? You're right. It's it's meaningful to you, I guess, but it means absolutely nothing to me. Zero. El Zippo. I'm getting nothing out of this slide. So you know. So what you do then is is simplify. You know, I often have slides that just have like one percent. Yeah, right. When I'm talking about the one percent windfall, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing that's on that slide is. It's a one and a percent sign, and that's the only thing on the slide. Yep, 
Yep, and you know, in red, and so th- this is what I was able to take f- from this book. And one one last story as we're we're coming up here against the end of the show, and again we're f- flying by, but is in this book, it, and we're and this is the first place that I read this, but you can you can actually find this out out you know, on the internet if you just take a, a search for it. But he he goes he specifically believes that the Columbia uh, accident, uh, the space shuttle Columbia, was right. a direct result. Of a of poorly designed PowerPoint. Wow. He he traces back. In fact, he's got in this article that he talks about there there he, there is the slide where they're talking about the 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 problem and the O ring or whatever it was. Yes, yes. And it's it's so convoluted. It's it's one of these slides that I just talked about. And this is the slide. It's called the review of test data indicates conservatism for tile penetration, mm-hmm. right? And and it goes down to like four points at one point on this one slide. Wow. And and the word significantly, though, appears one, two, three, four, five times on the slide. Five times. Mm. You know, I know we're both big fans of as uh, how do you pronounce Hans Rawling and uh-huh. and yep. some of his TED talks or even just some of his talks. I forget his website, but he's got a great way of presenting complex statistical data. I think doesn't yeah. he? Gapminder is Gapminder. Is, is, yes, Gapminder dot org. Yeah, yeah, and and that that one requires a little work though. I will say that 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 can get that can get very busy too. It can yep yep. Uh, so you, so you, it requires some explaining, but you know, but in in his defense, uh, Tufta doesn't doesn't say that your slides all have to be simple, right? Mm-hmm. He, 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 but he says that they 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 have to be able to tell and convey the story in something that's relatively understandable in a very brief period of time, right? And and, and you certainly can't do that with with PowerPoint slides where you're going down to four point font. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, uh, that's great! I'm gonna have to check out that book. It sounds terrific. I know you've talked about it before, and uh, just I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But uh, tell me, what do we have on store for next week? Next week, we have a, a former a Sage colleague of mine and my friend Greg Tarico, and he is going to share with us his thoughts on a on Mary Meeker's uh, internet trend speech. This is kind of an annual speech that uh, Mary Meeker gives about the internet and what's happening. And uh, Greg, Greg dissects this every year, and I've had some great conversations with him about it, so I'm, I'm thrilled that he's going to be able to, to share it with us. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you've done some podcasts with him, I think, on prior year's report. So, oh, great. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's excellent, Ed. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, folks, check out thesoulofenterprise.com. For more information, we'll have the show notes up and all the books we discussed today. And in addition, you can contact Ed or myself at tsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you next week.